0: Well, good morning, I'm Jason. Somebody got that joke. Um, Brandon is not here. Brandon and Jen are still uh, breaking, I guess you could say. They're on traveling somewhere east of here. If you follow Facebook, you'll know where, um, or Instagram. But it's good to be here. Um, let me just give you a little context for how today fits into the bigger picture. We're going to take a break from the book of Matthew. We've been in Matthew for about 400 years now. And we are as far as, what, chapter 6? We're not moving too quick. I think Matthew wrote the book faster than we're getting it through getting through it, which is something. Uh, we're going to be there for a while. I don't know where Brandon's going to end up next week exactly, um, but we're going to dial back into a conversation that I think, as a church, morning, Johnny, uh, as a church, we are, I think it's it's what's coming next. If you've been here for a while, you know, uh, or if you intuit these things, sabbatical generally means uh, either somebody's wore out and about to quit, which is not, the, not, not the case when Brandon's sabbatical or somebody's getting after some vision is going to bring something cool back, which is really what this one has been about. So I say that to say some good stuff is coming. I sense it. Maybe you sense it. A clarity, maybe a redefinition, maybe a, a training us back onto a point where uh, as a church, I think that's kind of the role of the lead guy, the lead pastor. And I sense that that's coming, but we've got this interesting first week of the year in between that and where we are now, right? So, um, what I want to do today, which is really what comes na- most natural to me anyway, is I kind of want to just set a heart tone so that starting next week for the fo- for the for probably the two or three weeks after that, we are ready to receive that vision in a posture of obedience, ready to, to launch on it before we hear exactly what it is, if that makes sense. There's always some prep work, right? You don't just hang drywall. You don't just put up two-by-fours and hang drywall and build a house, right? There's all that work that happens before. Which is kind of the foundation stuff. And it all gets covered up. And you might look at it and say, what a waste of time that was. But that connects to where we're going next, which is going to be building this thing out. Does that make sense? Am I being, am I being clear enough? We're about to embark on a reclarification of vision as a church. How's that? That's the tweeted version. How's that? All those words to get to that. Maybe we just, just stick with tweets this morning, Trey. We're just going to tweet this thing. The truth is, I think, churches as organisms have... Um, Have ebbs and flows. You kind of come in and you kind of come out of that clarity and you kind of, you know, it just kind of comes and it goes and you kind of move with it, and there are distinct seasons where we've got to recapture that vision. For those of you who have been around a long time, it's gonna sound a lot like getting back to where we were in the beginning. How many people were here at Jackie's when we first moved to Jackie's? How many how many of you were here when the first thing launched, like seven years ago? Okay. So for you, it's gonna sound like we gotta get back to that incredible electric space where everything was just day to day and real and missional and it was just raw and nobody knew what was going to happen but it was just happening for those of us who are later in the game come into this much later in the picture it's going to sound like a move forward which is simultaneously a move back and forward but to a converging point of the DNA of this church okay, you with me? so that's where we're going, have I thoroughly confused everyone in the room coach, are you confused coach? How is Chicago bro? cold? You brought it with you. That's what happened. Coach brought Chicago with him in the back of his car. All right, let's pray. So the Lord will give us uh, grace to see his word as we open it this morning. Lord, we love you. And we're willing to obey. We're willing to ready our hearts. And we're willing to say yes. Instinctively because we know you're good. Even before we know the details of all of that, our heart says yes. Just say that in your heart. Just say yes, Lord. Just whisper that to the Lord. Say, "Yes, Lord." Only you know what that means, but He hears it clearly. Yes, Lord. This morning we would say, "Open our eyes today in Your name." We pray. Amen. All right. So it was great having Brandon back in the saddle last week, right? It's great to hear from him again. It's fantastic. Um, new stuff coming. New vision coming. I want to pick up on a quote that he read that he picked up early in the sabbatical that kind of became a framework for how he kind of prayed through that season. And it's a, it goes back to 1916, which is always fascinating to read how forward-thinking some people like, were way before us. It, makes us. it makes me think sometimes that we're not all that innovative, right? Your kids break out topsiders and they're like, Dad, this is the coolest shoe ever made. And you're like, you do what I do. You're like, I had that in the 80s, right? So things, things aren't that new. 1916... Ian Bounds wrote, the church is looking for better methods, but God is looking for better people. Remember that quote? The Holy Ghost does not flow through methods, but through people. He does not come on machinery, but on people. As we consider our DNA and our role as a church, it's not the newness of a method that God is after, it's a reconditioning of the heart of people, right? It's people that he's working through. He does not come on machinery or methods, but on people. He does not anoint plans, but people, right? God is after building a particular kind of people. That's the thing. And what, what's in my heart, and this has been bouncing around in my head for a couple weeks, is new year, new stuff, newness, new chapter, new season, but a really, really hard kind of new. More like the new of a new pair of boots, which hurt for three weeks, than like the new of a new car, which just does what it's supposed to do. A harder kind of new is what's on my spirit as we prepare for what God is bringing to us. Seems appropriate during the new year, the first Sunday of the new year, to talk about this, doesn't it? But this has me thinking, and and, and I'm just gonna be self-reflective today, and hopefully you can find a place to hook on, and maybe this will apply to you. But what is it about me that makes me think that what I'm missing is always something new and always something external? That whatever the distance between where I'm at and happiness for me is always because I don't have that thing. There's this new thing. There's this new whatever. And it's always something outside of me that needs to happen so that I can feel excitement. Is that is that just me? That's just me, isn't it? That's not you, is it? You got this all figured out. For some of us, the season we just came through is super happy. It's amazing. It's your favorite time of year. But are you aware of the fact that for many of us, it's the saddest, loneliest time of year? everybody's talking about new and we're stuck on that last thing we were hoping God would do and he didn't we're stuck on the last thing that we were hoping God would fix and he didn't fix it and newness is not good news because it's the same oldness because we're still waiting on go and we can't move forward for some of us 2015 brings great new promise because we're into that we want to go new places new opportunities for some of us there's a set measure of sadness that goes with that But how we look at new, assuming 2015 is something new coming at us, how we look at it has everything to do with how we position ourselves going into the new year. Because if it's a new thing, it's just going to cost you a little bit of money. And then you'll have it. But if you're like me, you'll get it. And the first thing you'll think is, how can I upgrade it? It's a great American way, right? Listen to this. It's totally possible to miss the new thing God is doing. Because we're waiting for the wrong thing. Here's my concern as we launch into a new year it's totally possible to line yourself up for that new thing and miss it completely because you're lined up for the wrong thing. Because new might be, in your mind, something external that needs to happen to you so that you can be okay. And that's what I'm after this morning, talking about that. Seems that there's two very real worlds that exist today it's the one on the outside. And the one that exists inside your mind and inside your head. Your interior world and every other thing. And we all can pretty much agree that the rest of the outside world is kind of what it is. You know, it's kind of cold this morning. It's not as cold in here today as it was last week, right? The fan still barely turns and we still can't figure out why. So there's a lot of things we can agree on in the exterior world. But only you, it's a real mystery if you're visiting here. We can't figure this fan out. I obsess on things like that. But, like, just spin or don't. That's the, that's never mind. But there's two worlds that exist. It's the world of your imagination and how it works inside your mind, and it's every other thing that's actually real on the outside. But both worlds are real. Everybody's watching the fan. Both worlds are real. And here's my question for you, and it's an open question because we dialogue at ANC. What did Jesus? What is the world that Jesus came to change? Okay, your hearts. What else? What is the world that Jesus came to change? Think about it. There's two worlds. It's the one that exists inside and the one that exists on the outside. What did he come to change? The broken world. So the outside things. Poverty and justice, right? What did he come to change? There's probably not a wrong answer to this in case you haven't figured this out. Inside, we have she seconded her own first motion. Robert's rules says you can't do that. We need a second for that. Anybody else want to say he came to change the inside world? Anyone? Yes? Who says inside? Who says outside? Lamar says outside. Both? People? Who said that? Yeah. What's that? Self. Wow. Let me ask you this for the crowd, for the outside crowd. Saying that Jesus came to change our interior world, is that scandalous to those who say, no, he came to change the world world? Hand in hand? So the outside world clearly causes my inside world, right? Is that what you're saying? No, you're going the other direction. You guys are too, too darn smart. Think about that. What is the world that Jesus came to change? Because those who expected radical changes on the outside were almost universally disappointed with the work of Jesus. Because he didn't do what he could have. Imagine the gall of a guy walking through a crowd of crippled people and healing one dude and turning around and walking out. I would look at him and say, that's not a world changer. he just look at the opportunity that he just missed. I'd be the guy saying, you know, that box of perfume that costs so much money, we could have fed some poor people with that, right? It's this weird tension. Here's what I want to suggest that we think about because we can't change everything on the outside immediately. Here's the thing that I want us to think about. What Jesus came to change is everything, but he's going to do it by changing you first. So maybe there's a sequence. Maybe it's not, is it this or is it that? Maybe there's a sequence. Maybe there's a chronology built in here. Because so many things on the outside are just not changing the way we wish, are they? So year after year, we line up at a new year and we say, if I could just have that thing, that relationship, that job, that situation, then I would be okay. And I think what we miss is the reality that newness for us means God do something new in me, right? Let me read you a quote. If you're into the Spanish mystics at all, which I know Trey is deeply, um, Teresa of Avila is one of the great Spanish mystics, and one of the, one of the gals who's, who's really doing great scholarship along rendering that ancient language into modern vernacular is Mirabe Star. I don't know if you've read anything by her. You can see me later. I'll tell you the quote where it comes from. But here's a, here's a bit of her translation of part of what Teresa of Avila wrote. Now listen to this. There is a secret place, a radiant sanctuary, as real as your own kitchen. No, more real than that. Constructed of the purest elements, overflowing with 10,000 beautiful things, worlds within worlds, forests, rivers, Velvet coverlets thrown over feather beds. Downton Abbey's coming up again tonight, so you know what that means. Velvet coverlets thrown over feather beds. Fountains bubbling beneath a canopy of stars. Beautiful forests. Universal libraries. A wine cellar offering an intoxication so sweet you will never be sober again. A clarity so complete you will never again forget. This magnificent refuge is inside you. Enter. Shatter the darkness that shrouds the doorway. Believe the incredible truth that the beloved has chosen for his dwelling place, the core of your own being, because this is the single most beautiful place in all of creation. This is what God is up to in Austin today. He's into changing the interior world of those who trust him in such a way that the greatest place of worship to God Almighty is the condition of the garden of your own soul. And for me, that's good news. Because I can actually focus on that. Here's what paralyzes me in the holidays. I seem to be unable to stop myself from believing that there's some external switch that's going to fix everything for me. Right? I can't stop believing that because it's easy to believe that and it's lazy because if that changes, then I get, that I'm different and then we're all good. And all of the work of tending the interior garden within my soul is put onto somebody else. It's somebody else's thing. Bottom line is this, God seems to be much more interested in changing my insides than he does in changing the circumstances around me. That's the full truth. I I wish I could let the clutch out slowly and let that just sort of ease in slowly, but the reality is if you are a new follower of Jesus or if you've been with him for your whole life, the truth is he's into changing you and sometimes he addresses your circumstances. Does anybody agree with that or am I completely off? The truth of the matter is, is every circumstance you are in has a built-in design because it's after reordering the interior condition of your soul. That's where God is doing his greatest work. There's no soft landing to that. That is what that is. The good and the bad news of this Jesus thing, it's the ugly and it's the beautiful. It's where restoration is happening. The heavy lifting is in the inside world. The interior castle is what Teresa of Avila called it. It's almost shocking how little things actually, on the outside, how little they actually change. Let me just make a small list for you so you can be reminded. Have you ever thought about that? When you're crying out to God, healing from captivity, right? Freedom from addiction. Freedom from the bondage of sin. Freedom from disease and brokenness. Freedom from loss. All of these things, for all these years, we cry out. And oftentimes, we stay in that space, and God is doing radical work on the inside, in this circumstance remains the same. And if you're like me, you begin to make explanations for God on his behalf. You try to make other people think he, well, he's really a good God. He, he's not hard of hearing. It's just that you find silver linings, and the reality is, if I'm honest with you, on January, what is it, 4th? Is it the 4th of January? Sometimes I'm really ticked, because I know he can, and I still know he doesn't but it's because I'm looking for solutions in the external circumstances to save my soul and he's deeply embedded in the garden of my soul already. And those things can remain. And I can find my way through it. And I can tap into that peace that passes all understanding that Paul writes about in Philippians. So the context for that, let me read you the verse. Christians will often, Jesus juke you with this. That just means they'll throw stuff at you so they can't really answer your question because they're uncomfortable. So they'll say something dumb. Called it a Jesus juke. You'll get this from Christians all the time. If you laughed, you probably have done this to people you love. <laughs> I guess you've all done it to people you love. <laughs> Paul writes to a church in conflict with, with teaching that's kind of going different directions. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. He repeats himself because we're dancing. We need the repetition. Uh, Let your gentleness be evident to all. He says, the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition... With thanksgiving, in every every situation, disease, loss, trauma, abandon, relational yuck and distance and kids who don't listen. In every situation, Paul says, rejoice. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, he's not writing the peace that comes from having everything you need. He's writing to a people intention, and he says, the peace that exists in that space is not explainable. It transcends understanding, and that's the point. So, where the world is swirling in chaos, our interior world, God is active. We can have peace, knowing that He's up to some really deep stuff. Okay, transition. Take a breath. Story of Moses from the Old Testament. Some of you only know the story of Moses from the movies, the Disney movie, right? Deliver us. That's all I remember is the song "Deliver Us" at the beginning of the movie. What's what's it called? The story of Moses. Prince of Egypt. Thank you. Youth staff have to tell us this the story of the cartoons. Thank you for that. The story of Moses. My thoughts turned to the story of Moses early this year, probably mid last week for some reason. Spectacular upbringing in the palace of Pharaoh, right? Impossible odds placed him in the lap of luxury, in possession of the best education that privilege could leverage. Didn't get any better than that in the ancient world. He was a wielder of great influence. He was the mover of the heart of Pharaoh. But he was Hebrew and he was proud of it. And it put him in a situation, didn't it? See, Moses was one of these guys who could walk up on a barroom brawl and just know intuitively who was right and who was wrong. You ever hang out with somebody like that? Keen sense of justice. Wherever injustice was flaring up, Moses was your man. He could see through it. He understood. He had great vision. And it got him in big trouble. If injustice was the problem, he was the answer. But not until God did considerable reordering of his interior world he had everything he needed to accomplish the task and it wasn't the right timing because God had only begun to weed the garden of his soul see you know the story he comes along a Hebrew one day he's a full grown adult raised in the house of Pharaoh had everything money could buy stumbles upon two Hebrews or no, stumbles upon an Egyptian uh, uh, whooping up on a Hebrew and so he kills the Egyptian and he buries him in the sand probably not that controversial. Probably not that big of a deal if you were the son of Pharaoh. But the next week, the same thing happens. He happens into a bar on 6th Street. Two guys are brawling. They're both Hebrews. He steps in and says, what's going on? And the one guy says, are you going to kill me like the guy you did last week? And all of a sudden, the shoe drops and Moses is in big trouble. Because now the word on the street is Moses is killing people and he knows he's in trouble. Right? He had everything he needed to accomplish the task of what? Delivering the people of, Egypt, uh, the people of Israel out of the, the captivity in Egypt but something amazing happened in his story. Simply put, he was born, he was rescued, he was raised, but the timing wasn't right. He went out into the desert, he fled for his life into the desert, and he happens upon a situation at a well. Again, eyes for injustice. Some, Some women are trying to feed their flocks, and some dudes come along, and they push him to the back of the line. Moses steps in, has his way. They end up going home early. I'm tweeting the story so you get it. They go home, and their dad's like, you're home so early. And they're like, well, it's because this guy helped us out. And they're like, what, you didn't invite him over for dinner? Go back and find him, and they bring him in. You know the story. Moses ends up marrying the eldest daughter of a a herdsman that lives in the wilderness. And for 40 years, for 40 years in the wilderness, Moses sits on the vision to be a deliverer for 40 years until the bush is burning and he walks up and he encounters God. And what's so fascinating to me in the stories of Exodus 2 and 3 is that the reality of the, uh, uh, that was going on in Egypt had not changed one bit. Forty years, God puts everything in the external on hold while he does some reordering of the interior castle of the heart of, of, of the soul of Moses. The words are almost the same. Moses raises a hand to fight for those who are suffering in injustice To to defend them against a situation that remained constant While God worked his heart out And God says the very reason I'm sending you back It says it very simply in in Exodus 3 The Lord says I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt I've heard them crying out because of their, their slave drivers And I'm concerned about their suffering So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians And to bring them up out of the land Into a good and spacious land The same situation that 40 years earlier Had motivated Moses to say enough is enough there was work to be done. Because the man that stood in front of the bush was a very different man than killed the Egyptian and was trying to break up the brawl between two Hebrews. See, if the answer for us is everything on the outside changing, we're in big, big trouble. Because God has patience that I can't figure out. God tolerates injustice in ways that just seems like you can't possibly not do something about that and I can't explain that for you I can't tell you I just can't explain it for you I wish I could, I've not lost what you've lost perhaps I've not been through what you've been through so my words would be trite if I tried to console you and tell you God is good even in that I don't know, I've not lost what you've lost what I can tell you is God is patient and it will all be righted in the end it will all make sense in the end and that's all I can tell you I'm a Hebrew in Egypt suffering under the boot of a thug, slave driver, I'm not figuring out why 40 years God's working on the heart of Moses. I just can't reconcile that. But everything changed in the guts of the man. The man who stood before the bush was reticent, was not super confident, was not arrogant, had an eye for injustice and could see what God was up to, but begged God to use someone else besides him. It's a whole different thing than the guy who raises his hand and starts to lop heads off. So, back to a As a church, as we prepare ourselves for a new season, let's remember this. The only necessary switch that needs to occur is on the inside. See? The only freedom that needs to be attained is on the inside. The only bondage that needs to be broken is on the inside, and then everything else changes. Read the memoirs of, of uh, uh, the other ANC, South Africa, help me. Um, served a life sentence in Robbins Island and became the prime minister of South Africa. Help me out. Nelson Mandela, thank you. Sorry about that. It's been a busy week. We've been New Yearzing and working on old motorcycles, and I've lost my train of thought. Um, read the thoughts of Nelson Mandela from prison. A completely free man Change to a wall because the interior world of Nelson Mandela was unfettered and unshackled and limitless and impossible to contain we are the fix right Mahatma Gandhi says we are let's be the change that we need let's be the change we want to see we are the fix. And so as we, now think about this again as you're positioning yourself for whatever that answer is relationally for you, whatever that need is that you need A&C to fix for you, whatever that reality in your financial world that God needs to help you fix or needs to solve for you, whatever that pickle that you're in, whatever that thing you need God to address, remember, just remember, you might be the fix. The switch might be in you, right? For us this past year, towards the end of 2014, I'm just gonna be honest because that's, no filter is my only gear. Uh, We were begging God for financial help and you know what we did? We finally set a budget. (laughs) Some of you are like, oh, that's so easy. It took sitting down with the burdens for us multiple times to figure out how to do cash envelopes again. Why? Because we've got to stop the flow. Now, has God increased my income? Absolutely not. But are we going to get out of debt in the next year? You bet we are. No external switch needed. No job promotion, no raise. You see what I'm saying? But that's a whole hard, that's a hard kind of new, isn't it? I would so much rather a raise. And then I would just spend that too, and then we'd still be in the same situation in 2015. So, wrapping this up. As we begin a new year, some of us need to literally release God and forgive God. Now listen to me, this is not easy, and we don't talk about this in church. Some of us need to literally figure out how to forgive God for not answering our prayer the way we thought it needed to be answered. Because your anger is towards God. Because He didn't come through the way you thought. Because you were expecting an external deliverance for something that God is trying to set you free from on the inside. So some of us need to forgive God today. Some of us need to forgive those in our lives who we have held accountable for our sadness and our loss and our disappointment because we think they're the answer and that's not fair that's not why God puts us in families so that we can solve each other's needs no, God puts us in families because that's what God's love looks like but your insides and the forgiveness you extend towards the world is very much a you thing and you can be free in that now I don't know what that is but in that thing that makes your heart pound makes you angry, you can be free in that right now What a weird word. I'm sorry. It's been a weird week. But hear me. I'm not just talking about sins and addictions. I'm primarily talking about disappointment here. For me, me, disappointment is kind of a capital D word. It's a whole thing, right? You guys know this. I'm talking about soul-bending, mind-altering disappointment with God. Because he's just not done that thing. You know... For some of us, it's being set free for, for things. For others of us, it's actually having the ability to build that vision God has put in you. There's things in you that God has clearly put there. They're selfless. They're focused on the margin and on the broken and on the poor. They're very much from God and yet he hasn't fulfilled it. The thing in you might be the deliverance of your people. What more noble task could God possibly call us to do? And it hasn't come to pass. That book in you hasn't been written yet. That relationship hasn't been made. That record hasn't hasn't been inspired and recorded yet. You know it's there. And we're disappointed, capital D. And now my heart for us this morning is that we find a way to release that. And say, God, the only thing that I'm going to focus on in 2015 is changing me. Because everything else changes if that happens. Everything else changes if that happens. We need some meaningful ways to express our willingness to forgive those around us and forgive God because of our disappointment. Let me just tell you what I think 2015 holds for us and musicians get ready. Change. It holds change. Well, that's not terribly revelatory, but it holds a very hard kind of change and a very difficult kind of newness because it's 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 about people change. It's about personhood adjustment. It's about attitude adjustment. Parents, right? It's about me learning to 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 narrate that mess that's inside and not project and blame other people for that mess. And it's about me owning that mess. And it's about me allowing God to reorder that mess. That's the change in the newness of 2015 that I think is coming. It's about stretch. Stretch. And you're going to be convinced it's going to break and God's going to say, It's not going to break. Your soul is like a broccoli rubber band. Ever had one of those? those Big blue rubber bands? Stretch, stretch, and things warm, and things change. But it's about stretching the capacity of our souls to trust God that he is good, despite all that, okay? His greatest work is not, I should say, his greatest work is moving you, not moving your mountain. His greatest accomplishment is gaining and keeping your trust. The beauty of your interior garden is his greatest praise. And that's my vision for 2015.